because here we find Jesus finally confronted in the most dynamic of all the people he's interacted with so far is the famous John the Baptist, the one who actually knows the most, who is a prophet, and he knows of Jesus Christ well. And yet he comes to Jesus by proxy of his messengers to say to Jesus, essentially, what are you doing? Why are we doing it this way? And this is John the Baptist. Let's get into it here with Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, of the Christ, the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one to come or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, a weak man that's just really emotional and drawing a crowd of no consequence. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus responds and says, yes. I tell you, and he is more than a prophet. This is him who it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. The very last prophecy of scripture is Malachi. And that is Malachi 3.1, before God stopped talking to Israel. And that was his promise, his prophecy. I will send a messenger before I come to you. And Jesus is saying, John is that man. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets of, for all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus knows he's speaking to these men who are very sensitive to the idea of a messianic movement. And at the very end, he closes by saying, now John the Baptist is Elijah. Because actually, in Malachi 4, the next chapter after which Jesus quoted, when he said, behold, I send my messenger before you, in chapter 3 of Malachi, chapter 4 says that this man will be like Elijah. And so Jesus ties it all together and says, yes, if you were reading the story, if you were watching every episode, if you, uh, you know, when you talk to somebody who's binge watching a season of something on Netflix or whatnot, and then you approach them and you haven't been keeping up with it. And they say, well, yeah, that season happened here and this season happened there. And now this is what's happening. And if you haven't, if you're two or three seasons behind, you're not tracking with this at all. Now, it is hard for us sometimes because very rarely is the Old Testament expounded in detail 
or children growing up singing the Psalms or actually understanding the Old Testament. But these Jewish men knew their Old Testament and they were in the most recent season of the episode and they knew where Malachi left off. They knew where the cliffhanger was before a new season should start. And Jesus is picking up on that theme and he's saying, you who know, he is Elijah. That's all he had to say. They know what they mean by that. And he say, this is the one. John was the one to come before the one. And the irony of all this is that John is the one who's doubting. He's in prison. And he sends his disciples, his messengers to Jesus to say, who are you? What are you doing? And why am I in prison? Are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for another? How pivotal this fulcrum of a conversation is for understanding really who our Christ is. Really, what is Jesus' mission? What is the mission of the Messiah? When one of the greatest, as Jesus' own says, the greatest of the old prophets is confused. But you and I, on this side of history, are given such a prerogative and such a clarity and perspicuity of vision of 2020 hindsight to be able to say we, in many respects, are even greater than John. The mysteries that you have locked inside your soul, if you even studied the scriptures for one year in a biblical church, know amazing things that could transform your life if the Spirit quickens those truths. And so here is Jesus, who after he spoke with his disciples, he led them. He led them. I love how this starts because it's saying that Jesus is the man who leads not by distance. Our Lord does not leave us alone. When Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on to teach and to preach in their cities. How amazing it is to see a leader, a king, a commander that you can follow like this. For he goes to his disciples and says, I want you to go into the hard places. I want you to go out there and preach to every city and wipe the dust on your feet as you go. And I want you to understand the sword will follow you. It will cause division and many of you will be persecuted and you are to flee to the next town and run. How easy it is for many in positions of leadership or authority to sit back in an armchair and execute and delegate and direct. But right after Jesus has done that, he goes to put himself exactly in the position that he has called his disciples to go in. That Jesus himself continues to go and preach and teach in the cities as he descends down south to Jerusalem. Jesus does not lead by a distance. And he is leading you and I even here now. At the very end of his ministry in John 14, these things I spoke to you, he says to his disciples, while I was still with you. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And he will teach you everything. That is why you and I, in many respects, can be greater than John. For John was a prophet, the greatest of all the prophets by Jesus' estimation. And he was given the Holy Spirit and prophesied with power. And many came to him. And he was a remarkable man. Yet after the resurrection of our Lord, the truly anointed of the Spirit, the Messiah himself, we are given the Spirit. From the source without measure. 
And he did not leave us alone. In many ways that appeared normal by consequence of everyday life, through even the regular preaching of the word of God, such as now, more truth and mysterious depth of wisdom and glories of God are brought now to us that John could have never fathomed. And even now, in his present position, he is doubting and confused. And so our prerogative in this morning is that we learn, lest we not be confused, let's learn. As we can prove again that us in the kingdom now, the resurrected Messiah who has ascended to the highest of heights above all heaven and earth, that we will know truly, even better than John, what his mission was. For we have been given the same spirit. It rolls down to us as a cascade. Remember earlier what Jesus said just before this, the very previous verse. He said that there is the one who receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives the disciple that I send, receives that apostle, also receives Jesus. And whoever receives a prophet, receives the reward of that prophet. That we have been given this cascading work of the Holy Spirit that has descended from God the Father to the Son. And the Son in the resurrection sends out the Spirit. And it's all much greater than John could ever even have had. It's like when you go... If you read the end of Ezekiel, it's remarkable. Because when you go to the Grand Canyon and you see that great chasm and you think to yourself, what could ever fill this? Whatever little stream could have caused such a tremendous hole? And then you might overgo to the other side of the country and if you've ever seen Niagara Falls, the weight of it, if you can go back to that, if you've seen it on TV... More preferably if you've been there. You hear, you feel the weight of the water. When it rolls down over that cliff, it is extremely loud. You can't talk clearly to the person to your right or left. It is a deluge of water. And that comes from very small, small springs and melted snow at the top of the heights of many mountains. And that image is exactly what Jesus is saying. At the end of Ezekiel, we're told that the stream flows very softly. It comes from one source, one Messiah who has the Holy Spirit. And it rolls from him down to his 12 and his 70 and beyond. And we in this age, if we position our souls appropriately, stand under this avalanche of blessing that comes from the Holy Spirit. We are under that waterfall. And it is only going to increase as far as Ezekiel is concerned. And here it is. Jesus is questioned. John is the prophet. He is in jail. It says in Matthew 4 that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew and went up to Galilee. And John, who was preaching boldly and gathering large crowds and baptizing them in repentance for the king to come, was put in prison. And the deeds of Jesus are brought on the table. The question about him is plainly stated. As we walked through all the things that Jesus did, all the things through this sermon series in which he is described as healing the blind, Opening the ears of the deaf, 
bringing those who have leprosy to full health, and even raising the dead. In prison, John hears of these deeds. He is not present to see these things. He is locked away and only hearing of these rumors of what the Christ has been doing. And so he sends words to them. Are you the Messiah? Now what's amazing is everyone else is fascinated by Jesus. He's giving them good health. He's giving, he's multiplying food. He's giving them food, health, wealth, the prosperity gospel through and through if it were taken just at that. But John is a wise man. And he knows the scriptures. He isn't taken in by the games or the treats. He wants to know the reality. Even if Jesus raised a man, even if Jesus opened blind eyes, John still has more questions. Are you really the Messiah? Are you a miracle worker or some magician? Are you the one? John is a real prophet. Are you the one that I know of from Isaiah and Ezekiel? And Daniel. And Jesus responds with this question. Nothing more than saying, go and tell John, whatever have you heard and seen? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus intentionally laid out a list, a resume at which it would have struck every nerve in John's mind from Isaiah 29. In that day, the deaf, Isaiah 29, 17, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And on their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 26, your dead shall live, bodies shall rise. They will dwell in the dust, but they will awake and sing for joy. Isaiah 26, description of those who are dead in the dust coming to life. And Jesus is pointing these out. He's saying, John, you know the prophecies of the Messiah. You know what he should be doing. Go tell John what you see and hear as he can't witness it in prison. And Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Messiah is speaking prophetically in the first person in Isaiah 61. The one who has the Spirit resting upon him, the Messiah. The Lord anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives. And the very last verse there says, to open prisons for those who are bound. And Jesus goes to John and says, Well, John, those who are poor are hearing the gospel, the good news of my reign, as Isaiah 61 says. And you can imagine John's retort when he says, yes, but Isaiah 61 also says, the prisons will open, and all those who are bound will get out. Where's that part? As I'm in the prison, would like to get out. Are you really the Messiah? Because John knows his scriptures. What is this? John evaluates Jesus this way. We can infer from it. He doesn't say what his doubts are. 
Infer from it his doubts are about Jesus. His doubts are that he's in prison. His doubts are that this does not look triumphal. It does not look like we're going to win this messianic war. Because he assumes it is a war like all messianic wars. The remarkable thing of all this passage is that it is clouded. It is shrouded. It is backdropped in so much history. So many things have happened and will soon happen after this moment that we know nothing about. By and large, because Jesus is the Christ. I hope to show that now. Jesus turns the tables and he evaluates John. Why? What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. What did you go out to see? He said. Did you go out to see a prophet? He is a prophet, and John is a great prophet, of whom it is written, He is the one who comes before the Messiah in Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare the way before you. The problem with this is, again, when you go back to Malachi 3, we're told that the Messiah would come, the messenger of the covenant would come after John, and he would be a refiner's fire. He would be a fuller's soap. He would bring swift judgment to falsely all those who are oppressed. He would free the poor. And he would also judge all those who are adulterers. It just says that in Malachi. Do you know why John's in prison? Do you remember? He went to Herod Antipas and he said, You should not be with that woman. You are committing adultery. And as the prophet he is, reading from Malachi, thinking, this is the age of the Messiah. It is time to preach righteousness, and it is time for the Messiah to come and judge in righteousness. I will, I will correct all sin, and the Messiah who follows me will fix up the way. And here is John, preaching out against adultery, in which we're told in Malachi, the Messiah will come and judge all adulterers. And so John goes to prison for preaching against adultery. And it doesn't look like the Messiah is judging all the adulterers. In fact, a woman will come to him caught in adultery. And he will work justice for her to forgive her. And so naturally, now I hope the stage is set for you to understand in the first century, Jewish mind, are you the Messiah? Christian, who is this one we worship? Is he really the Messiah of old? And here is the word. We have to understand that many were looking for the Messiah in this time frame, the first century or so, because they would read Daniel 9. They would study Daniel 9. And Daniel 9 set up a timetable of seven sevens and 62 sevens. And they did the math from there to find that in this time frame, a little bit before 0 AD, a little bit after 0 AD, there was what you could call Messiah fever. Everybody was looking for the Messiah because they knew he was to come sometime after the fourth beast, sometime in the realm of Rome. And sometime, according to Daniel 9, with the actual years laid out in that region, given how you start the dates or not, it had to be in a realm of 50 or so years. 
And so they're all looking for the Messiah. And so when Jesus was two or three years old, there was a man named Simon of Perea. He was a servant of Herod, the king of the area of the Jews. He was tall, we're told, by Josephus, a historian. He was attractive. He was strong. He had ability. He was smart. As a, as a servant, he was given tremendous responsibility over the kingdom. Sounds very much like Joseph in Genesis. And so what he did is he rallied a bunch of men together. He burnt down a royal palace in Jericho, and he started fighting. And a Roman commander, Gradius, cut his head off. That was a false messiah. Athrogenes, the same year or so, was a shepherd in the fields. Kind of like David started out. He was a tall man, strong. He had many brothers who were tall and strong, we're told. They were warriors. They gathered a bunch of people together. They aimed to resist their oppressor. To be the king that was to come. And they were all killed. Judas the Galilean. Only nine years later, established a whole different philosophy in Judaism that was not Pharisee, Essene, or Sadducee. They called themselves the Zealots. One of the twelve of Jesus' own disciples was of this persuasion. He was a zealot. They were what you would be equivalent to as American nationalism when it comes to Christian ideology. They argued for absolute liberty. They destroyed everything to make Rome leave. They wanted to tear it all down and be radical so that they would be free. They said God was only king. There was no other king under God. And so they rebelled. They started a retaliation. They didn't accept the census. They wouldn't pay their taxes. And someone comes to Jesus and says, why should we pay taxes to Caesar? These are all relevant questions. Because everybody is trying to be the Messiah. And do you know what? Judas died. He was killed. He couldn't be the Messiah because his army wasn't strong enough. The Messiah wouldn't fail. Another false Messiah. And of course, in that context, now you know, John is saying, listen. All these people that I called out to the wilderness to be baptized under repentance... Should I really be sending them to you? Or are they all just going to be slaughtered in battle? Like all the others. Are you the real king or not? Are you anointed by God? Will you win? Will you win the war? Because I really just don't care if you're healing a few blind people. Are you the real Messiah of old? And this is Jesus' question. And so he approaches them that way. Another false messiah. And John is reading the lines. He's in prison. Every other one of these messiahs was captured, was ceremonially destroyed or had their head chopped off as an enemy of the state. And you know what? That's the exact same thing that happened to John. He knows he's in prison. He knows he's going to die. And unless Jesus, our Messiah, the one he really thinks is the Messiah, picks up a sword and starts bashing people's heads, John's John's toast. He's in this prison and he's going to just be another line in the annals of human history in which one man rose up against another man and the strongest man with the biggest stick killed him. 
And John in prison, you can imagine feeling duped, feeling to be a fool. But he was taken again, yet by another false messianic movement. And now we must flip. Even if you have your Bibles. I actually don't do this much, but we should flip tax 5. We should flip tax 5 if you have your Bibles. It's the counsel of an old man, Gamaliel. And this is the test. This is what I want you to have. Who is our Messiah and what is his mission? 5.33 And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They wanted to kill the apostles for preaching of Jesus. After they told him, no longer preach of Christ. They flogged him and let them go. And they went out and began preaching. Jesus, again, saying he really was the Messiah. But we killed this one. Why are you doing this? What is, like... You can imagine the established elites, the Pharisees and Sadducees, always trying to keep themselves in between a rock and a hard place, in between this messianic fever and Rome breathing down their neck. And they just want everyone to stop pretending to be the Messiah. Just stop it. Because it's making my job really hard. You can imagine Gamaliel, right? Like, we just killed that one already. We killed him for the Romans, just so the Romans wouldn't kill us. And he's dead now. And they're still preaching about this one. Let that sink in. Let the reality is that most likely all those previous messiahs I just spoke to you, you've never heard their names before. The Gamaliel test is this. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee In the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put men outside for a little while. He went to executive session. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care that you are about to do what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. Remember the prophecy in Zechariah, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will flee. If there is no shepherd uniting the sheep, they will run away and dissipate. And after him, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. That was the zealot who didn't like to pay his taxes. So in the present day I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If they want to keep talking about the dead man we just slew, let them have it. Let them talk about Jesus. And if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail as history regularly is proven. With every messianic movement. But if it is of God. It will not fail. You will not be able to overthrow them. How prophetic is that? You might even be found. In the place of opposing God himself. This is 
the messianic movement. The shepherd was struck. But he did not stay dead. For the sheep have not scattered. His spirit has went throughout all the world. And has united us in him. And he is the most famous name of all names. He has received a name far above every other name. As Daniel said he would. He was the one in Daniel 7. Who approached the ancient of days. And he was given a name above every other name. It is not Simon bar Kokhba. Is not Theodos, Jesus of Nazareth. If you kill him, he will live. If you persecute his sheep, they will multiply. He pours out the Spirit. And we right now are at the bottom end of Niagara Falls. And no bucket could ever contain what he is doing. He proves himself Messiah every century forward. He is the one who cannot be forgotten. Jesus, the anointed one. And they would not know him. The mission of our Messiah. And this is where we find our story. This is where you find your mission under him. Is that when Jesus produced bread and fed 5,000 people. They wanted to crown him as king by force. And he fled away in John 6. When they picked up swords and wanted to defend and cut off his ear, Jesus put the sword away and mended the ear. The Messiah is told he will destroy all his enemies. He will bring fire, as Malachi said. And so naturally his disciples say, when the Sumerians reject Jesus' own preaching, should we call fire down from heaven? And he said this, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Messiah who has been given the Holy Spirit fills his people with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit, we will win. The messianic movement is underway, perhaps still yet beginning. And to be under the Holy Spirit is to not hurt, to not harm, to love. Not just to be the Lord with the sword, but He is what we confess as Lord and Savior. He is the one who loves. It is so easy to preach angry. It is so easy to preach about the things and the wrath of God. It is so hard to love other people. It is so hard to love when you understand the scriptures and see the love of God. Then that is truly fearful. That when John comes to him to ask for his resume, he would say nothing except all the eyes and the ears and the leprosy and the dead raised. He only speaks of his salvation. His salvation is what he wants. That is the age we live. We live in the age of salvation. God's judgment will come and his time and his way. But we live in the age of life. You have been given a mission. And you have been given the Spirit of God. And we are not revolutionaries. We are reformers. We reform.
We do not revolt. We love with our own blood. As he has for us. The American Revolution, many died. The Bar Kokhba Rebellion, shortly after Jesus' ascension, many died. The French Revolution, they invented the guillotine to chop people's heads off. What they did to John. The Bolshevik Revolution. They just killed everybody. We are not revolutionaries. The mission of our Messiah is to hope in blind eyes. Do you realize that this is the word of God? This is the gospel of life. Where every revolution, as Gamaliel said, engineered by men and the spirit of men and the wisdom of men, ended in death and destruction. And Jesus says, John, here is how you know I am the Messiah. I raise the dead. I raise those who seek to be killed. I put the ears back on those who can't even be good at killing people if they wished. This is the age we live. This is what we should be. This is the mission of our great Messiah. We are not revolutionaries. We are reformers. Everything Jesus described there. The blind eye, the lame leg, the deaf ear, the dead body. He is reforming it. He is making what is distorted and wrong right. That is our mission. Our mission is not the scorched earth. Our mission is to see the green flourishing of life everywhere we go. And this is not something you and I can do. We sure can have a revolution. We sure can do things by human power. But we are given this mission of the Messiah because we have been given his spirit. And though you might think you cannot do much, you can. With God all things are possible. What we need, what we need is to be reformed, born again. Have a new heart, a mind, regenerated and renewed. Revolutions are destructive. Reformations are constructive. Jesus wanted personal reformation in your life, appropriate to God. Get yourself born again. The thing that everyone hates about evangelicals, talking about being born again. I'm sorry, but that is the answer to every problem. And then when that happens, guess what happens to your marriage? Get your marriage reformed. And then reform your family. Sit down with them and teach them the scriptures every day. Pray with your children. Reform your community. Don't worry about what's happening over 50 states from now. What is the reason God has put you here? Don't think about revolution. Think about your neighbor across the street. Then reform the county. Then reform the state. Then reform the country. But this reformation could only happen if the Spirit of God be powerfully working through us. Because we will never, as Jesus so beautifully taught, bring revolution by coercion. The course of power happens here as the weight of the whole avalanche of the flood of God's Spirit presses upon the human soul to get them under that Niagara Fall in which we live, which John knew nothing of, 
to let them be pressed down under that water. Let them be convicted and converted. That is what changes the world. And that is why we worship Jesus today and know nothing of the foolish revolutionaries of men's wisdom. He is the true Messiah. So to answer John's question is, yes. Can you answer that question for yourself today? Do you know him as your reformer? And do you believe he can use you? Because this is the mission of our Messiah. If there is something you should be busy about, it's not groceries, it's this. Get this right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let everything else take care of itself. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for the love and joy and peace that you pour in our hearts regularly. Lord, we understand that we could be so much more deeper in the oceans of your grace, Lord. And we pray for even greater grace. The grace you've given us this morning, Lord, in some measure was beautiful. And Lord, we know we only can anticipate more. As wherever our sin is, we're promised that your grace will always abound. You will always wash it away. We cannot outlove you. We cannot outrun you. We cannot dirty our lives quick enough for you to already clean. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray uniquely now that you would impart to us an ability of godliness and virtue that we see in Jesus' life, that you would use us, that we would be empty vessels, that we would be available, and that we would actually be humbly used for wonderful things, spiritual reformation, nothing that the human hand can do. And that is why we pray. So Lord, make you, may you please use this church for this reformation. In Jesus' name, amen.